Well, hello and welcome to the first podcast of 2019. Apologies for the little break over Christmas, but uh, hectic schedules with games and, and programmes to produce and different things to do. So we're back at it today and to be fair, you're probably ready for a rest from us anyway, <laughs> given the rubbish we spout on a weekly basis. But um, i to say that myself, Mark Simpson, here with the manager, Richard Money, Chief Executive, Mark Maguire, and Director of Football, Craig Hignett. So... Fellas, uh, looking back over Christmas, so uh, over the Christmas results, New Year results, uh, Richard, I suppose a good place to start for you. Uh, how would you summarise the last weeks, two weeks? Uh, well, results not obviously where we want them, we wanted them to be. Um, I think you can see um, that it's more difficult for the teams at the top to get results the longer the year goes on, and um, you know if we'd got the type of points total that we would have ideally wanted then we would have closed the gap a little bit but we haven't um, so yeah my summary of the results would be that they're, they're, they're nowhere near what we wanted them to be um, and not good enough in terms of uh, points so disappointing there were some encouraging factors in the games weren't there and there's some sort of you know disappointing factors in the games as well I suppose during the Christmas period yeah look I think if you look First game we go to Leamington and it was a really tough day and we've got through the tie which is you know the the be all and end all really. Um, haven't wasn't particularly happy with that with what I saw that day, but it's a sort of game that if you're in a good place you know you pinch one nil or two one, um, but um, you know that hasn't happened very often throughout the season so um, probably wouldn't be right to expect it to change overnight. Um, and I suppose we were happy to walk off. The, not happy, but you know, we walked off the pitch with a point. wasn't uh, wasn't what we wanted, but neither the worst result either. Um, and then Gateshead started to look at where I think we want to be as a as a team uh, going forward, short term and long term. Uh, conceded two really poor goals, which has been uh, which has happened far too often throughout throughout the season. Gave ourselves a mountain to climb. Uh, responded uh, reasonably well in the second half had a go at it at getting back uh, into the game and probably obviously if we scored the second penalty we would have come away with a point and the perception of the performance and uh, and obviously the result uh, would have been slightly different by everybody um, but we played really well at Chesterfield especially first half uh, should have come in front more than one um, but again that's it's been the problem at the other end of the pitch. We haven't been able to put teams away uh, throughout the season when we've been well on top. Um, and you know, second half we got put under pressure as they did to Evsleet last weekend when they came back from three down. Um, yeah. So um, and couldn't you know couldn't see the result through. But you know, I thought it was a step in the right direction in terms of the way we want to play um, and what we want to see on the pitch. Um, but. Deserved, I think, should have come off the pitch with three points. Uh, I thought the Gator performance was a pretty good one, um, and you know, as hasn't, hasn't happened too often this year. Got pegged back and went back in front and yeah. got, and got the three points, which was a good sign. Um, and Saturday, a lot of what we did was good, but um, the season has suggested that whether on top or under pressure, we can't remain stable enough at the back. Um, and so we've looked at changing from five at the back to four at the back. Um, and you know probably the next step is to stay with four at the back, but look at different people. And is a Christmas package overall, I mean, are we fans of such a hectic schedule over Christmas in terms of, you know, as a fan and as a someone who runs the club and or someone who's been involved in in football over the years, do, do we like that? I'm a fan of, of Christmas football. I think we're the only country in the world that does it. Um, it's been this one's been hard because obviously with with Richard coming in, wanting to change the way we play, but you've got so many games where you can't get on the training ground as much as you'd like to. Yeah. Um, but I think, like Richard said, there's really encouraging signs um, that the players are trying to take on board what Richard's trying to do. Um, and it, but there is so many games, so you've you've got that fatigue bit, you've got the bit where you want to get out on the training ground and, and put your your way of playing in place. 
Um, you've got to have a look at players. Uh, and Christmas isn't the ideal place to do it because <laughs> there is so many games. But I, I am I am a fan of it. I, I, I like Christmas. I used to like it as a player. Um, and that hasn't changed since I've been a, a coach or a manager. And I, and I think for, from my point of view, if it was just about the football games, um, then then that period where the number of games would be be great to kind of build something up if we were advanced enough to be trying to build momentum as where we were. I think the timing-wise from our point of view, appointing a new manager and various challenges that we we faced, it was an inopportune time in some ways. Christmas this year, it won't, won't happen every year. Um, so it, it's quite nice now to be settling back down to a week-to-week so we can get some things sorted that need sorting around the club and address those so it's been an inconvenient Christmas without being <laughs> miserable about it um, in terms of its timing and some of the stuff that we've had to deal with so it's been an unusual one really from my point of view because ordinarily yeah, I like it like that number of games and the tradition of it but it's it's just been a weird one this year um, One of the topics one of the talking points the last few days has been the atmosphere at, at games particularly here at the Super 6 Stadium um, a lot of it provoked by you know some of your comments after the game on on Saturday, Richard, and coming with a fresh perspective like that in terms of you know what it's like for the players to play on home soil, it was interesting to hear your comments after your observations. Look, I think the first thing that needs to be said that the onus is always on the players to create the atmosphere in the ground. Yeah, you know, and we're I'm, they're under no illusions. I'm under no illusions that the only thing that changes it is results. You know, but sometimes to get to that point, there needs to be um, a bit more of a perception of what we're trying to do to get to the end, the end game. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, I think we're playing in a more offensive way. I think we're playing with more possession of the ball. Uh, we had 16 shots at the weekend, um, so you know we're. We're threatening a lot more than what I've seen on um, on the laptop in terms of you know previous previous games. Um, but you know when you make mistakes like we have been doing, then you know the mistakes obviously affect the way people feel. But look, my experience is 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 similar at other clubs, mm-hmm. but it does seem to be very. Uh, aggressive and very negative here very quickly um, so and I have to say towards myself yeah um, which is extraordinary given how yeah I, I walked off the pitch and I'm hearing two or three people singing money out after six games yeah. you know what I mean so you know they I can tell those guys to keep quiet because they won't have to get rid of me. You know what I mean? If it doesn't work, then I just go, you know. So they don't have to, they don't have to worry about that. Um, we've, you have a chairman who's investing a lot of money to keep a club that was going under. Nobody prepared to invest yeah. at all. And you've had a chairman, you've got a chairman who's had a, not a particularly good experience at Darlington. Um, who's prepared to invest um, and A, keep the club afloat but also try and get it back to where it wants to be. You've got a chief exec who spends every minute of every day at a football club trying to do the same. A director of football trying to do the same. You know, um, a manager who, you know, who spent the last 12 months flying around China you know, earning really good money and enjoying himself who's come and took on a challenge to to help them get back to where they want to get to. So whatever they think, whatever they see, whatever they hear, I can tell them honestly and I can promise them that everyone is already doing and will continue to do um, everything in their power to help them get back to where they want to. But this is an incredibly tough league, Right? Luton have found it, um, Cambridge found it, Wrexham found it. Um, it's ridiculously tough. And the rules of the competition makes it so even more tougher. Yeah. You've got to win it to go up automatically. And there are no mugs. 
whatever you think. I've said to you before, the nameplate doesn't make any difference. I'm well aware that people will come on Saturday. Maidstone at home will turn these over. Sorry, it ain't going to happen. You have to fight for every single thing you're going to get, you know? And you can't afford to make mistakes. If you make mistakes, you can lose the game. And we did at the weekend. But honestly, did we do enough in that game to win it? In my opinion, yes. Are we doing enough to give hope that we can turn it around? In my opinion, yes. Um, but I'm, I can promise everyone in the stadium is going to be a hell of a lot easier if they just show a bit more empathy and patience for, for players, especially young players. And, you know, we can talk a little bit about, you know, how, we, you know, how easy it is to, re to recruit players here or strengthen the team here. The, 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 the crowd have a massive part to play in that, you know, and I'll explain what I mean by that as we go through the podcast. But, um, yeah, it has to change. It's got to change. They're, they are part of um, the jigsaw puzzle. Players, staff, board, supporters, everyone together. And none of us, none of us want to be where we are. You can be angry at the past. I've got no opinion on the past. I don't know what happened. You know, be angry at the past. Be angry at people of the past. By all means, if that's what you think you want to do. But you can't be angry at the now. You know, I can promise you that everyone is doing everything in their power to turn this around. So you can't be angry with the now. And you certainly can't be angry with the future. And the future is going to be difficult. So get used to it. And I, I think it's it's the elephant in the room. This one, isn't it? Really, because I think the the convention says that football clubs are scared of coming out and being critical in any way, shape, or form of fans. And and God knows we we all value the two thousand nine hundred people buying season tickets. We all value the the support that we get away from home. We all value the number who keep turning up in the ridiculous numbers in the, as they do. We value the the efforts made to save the football club by the fans last year. But if you look, I don't know if anybody's seen the, the Sunderland documentary on Netflix, if you look at the fans on that one and yeah. and the negativity week in, week out and uh, compared and contrast to the fact that everybody this year is celebrating the Sunderland fans getting behind the team and how positive all this. Now maybe, as, as Richard said, part of that comes from it starts on the pitch and, and something to get hold of and something to be enthusiastic about. But the, the reality that we are facing as a football club is that we all have to come to terms with and earn the right to get out of this division. Mm. And that means fans as well. And that means we've got no divine right to turn up and beat people like Maidstone. That means there are going to be frustrating games. And that means that we need, when there are young players in, involved who are being given an opportunity where you've got a manager trying to get a group of players to play in a different way in a short space of time, that we need some patience and we need the fans to get behind us. And and. You know, in in a period of time before the before Richard was here this season, there have been there has been a player at least one who's come to management at this club and said, "I don't want to play in front of these fans." That's fact. Yeah. Okay. Now that's a worrying fact and that's a worrying um, reality um, because what we need to be doing is creating a vibrant atmosphere where young players are prepared to be brave enough to express themselves. We need to create an environment where people want to um, feel like they're going to get a fair crack at things. And I think on the whole we've got the, the vast majority of fans who will, the vast majority of fans who've seen a lot of um, good and bad, let's be honest, over a number of years and who are grateful for the club existing and continuing to play football here. But there is an element in football generally that are, are prepared to, to hammer players very, very quickly when things are going wrong. We're not criticising their right to do that, but we're asking for their help in creating an atmosphere and environment which makes it possible for the team which Richard and, and Craig want to put together to go out and perform. Um, and the sooner that happens, and if you look at teams that have done it successfully, the momentum which Tranmere got on last year, having had a horrible mm. start to the season, was based around not only good performance on the pitch, but an unbelievable atmosphere which made it very difficult to go to Prenton Park. A couple of years ago, Lincoln City created an unbelievable atmosphere where it was a horrific place to go and try and get a result because of the, the positivity within the stadium and this kind of almost will to win, this momentum that had been created. 
And you can't create that artificially. It's got to come from some encouragement on the pitch. Of course it has, but we need the fans to pay their play their part in that. And it's vitally, vitally important that for all of the planning and all of the vision and all of the um, destination we believe we're headed for, that the fans have got to play their part in it. And we shouldn't be afraid on occasion to stand up and say, hold on, was that proportionate on Saturday? So when Liam Noble... Um, misplaced some set pieces and, and went over to applaud the fans at the end and got booed, is that appropriate? And, and the answer is it's probably not because he'd, he'd done his best on the day. He fell short to his standards um, but still was prepared to stick his head up and was prepared to go and acknowledge the crowd at the end but, but got dog's abuse from a certain quarter from it. And that's when it's that's when it's starting to stretch the point as to, to whether that's reasonable or not. And I don't think we should be afraid to at least have the conversation because I, that's what this podcast was for, to have straightforward, honest conversations. And that sometimes means the ugly conversations as well. So so let's start the debate and let's the fans let the fans decide for themselves what, what's right and what's wrong. But um, it's certainly a question we should be asking. Craig, you you've obviously uh, you know been connected with the club longer than 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 Richard and Mark. What was your sort of evaluation on, on what was? Well, I, I agree with both. I agree with both. Said we're trying to do something here, and and Richard had said it about the the club nearly wasn't here. No one wants to invest. The chairman's come in. He's invested a lot of money. We want to get to a point. We're, we're ambitious, by the way, and we want exactly what the fans want. It's not just their club. It's our club as well. And I always see this club, it's a, it's a great club. And I, I could have sat on my backside when it was all going on last year and done nothing about it. I didn't want to do that because the club is a great club. It's got some really good people working there. You're always going to have an element of fans who are going to disagree with clubs' decisions. And that's fine, that's their right. The, the problem I have is, is the aggressive, personal stuff that shouldn't go on. Um, and it's not, you know. I, I said something a few weeks ago about, you know, about some knowledge on the back of a, a postage stamp. And if you were offended by that, then it's, it's you I want to offend, <laughs> type thing. Because it's not, it's not everyone. I, we have got some really good fans who will stick behind the club and we'll see what the club's trying to do. But Richard's come in. He's trying to change the way we play. He's trying to change the formation we play. We've got to have time to do that and, and to be given the opportunity to do that in an atmosphere that's going to make his job easier. So if we have got young young lads on the side, the last thing they want is to be on on the pitch and to be getting hammered with, for a bad pass or for a you know a, a bad decision that they make. We're, we're playing in the National League. We're not playing in the, in the Premiership or the Champions League where you've got players who make the good decisions 99.9% mm-hmm. .9 of the time. We're in the National League, so when a set-piece does go a little bit wrong, we've got to expect that because that's where that's where we are and that's where we are as a club. And we've got no right to win any games. People will say, oh, we're Hartley Pool and we were this, this and this. Yeah, we were, but we're not now. We're in exactly the same boat as everyone else and the clubs that Richard has mentioned having a struggle to get out this league are big, big clubs. Clubs who, who get more fans than we do mm -hmm. but have been in here for a long, long time. So we've got a clear picture of what we want to do and how we want to get out of it. And we need to be given time and we need to be given an atmosphere that helps us do it as quickly as we can. I think the other thing I'd just like to add to that is that, I think I mentioned it a little bit on Saturday, there is a, there is a simpler way to get out of this league. There is. You know, we'll go and get the biggest group of players that you can and just hammer the ball up front and play off second balls and keep putting the ball in the opposition's box, right? And there are clubs that have been successful doing that and are successful doing that this season. Yeah, yeah. Right? Now, we as a group of people, and I'm including the fans in this, right? But certainly the four of us, Craig, Mark, myself and the chairman, okay? Have to come to a decision on what people call philosophy, right? And how you want to play and how you want to be in front of your support base at home and away. And I'll be honest with you, this is my opinion, and I think it's the opinion of the club, because we obviously discussed it in the interview process. Playing like that is not what we want to see. I don't want to watch it. 
and I don't think the supporters do, unless they tell me differently. No, I yeah? agree. Yeah, yeah. Now, so that means we want to try and build, play through the thirds, and play in a way that gets more of the possession of the ball than the opposition. I'm not going to talk about ball domination because it's not going to happen in this league, but more possession than the opposition. Play in a way that's offensive, that gets a lot of players up the pitch, which is why we've gone three up top. Yeah, um, And then creating more goal-scoring opportunities, which I think we've done in the past few games. Now, the difficulty is with players at this level is how can you be stable at the back? The more open you become, the more possession of the ball you get. And that's the conundrum. And whilst you're developing it and evolving it, then mistakes will be made, especially by young players, you know? And again, we'll talk about the makeup of the squad going forward and what we want to do in the summer and all of that a bit later in the podcast. But the last 10 minutes on Saturday is not what we want to see. No. Right? And I think that the players took some of that upon themselves because they were really, really fed up with the criticism of someone making a poor decision or a poor pass um, and not being prepared to put themselves through it any longer. And they took the decision to send Harvey Rogers up front. I didn't. Right. But I can understand why they did it, because they didn't want to make mistakes in front of the crowd. Now, that's a very dangerous environment to create and a very dangerous environment to be in, especially when you have a new manager trying to implement new ideas and a different way of playing that I would suggest has been evident up until now this year. Now, I would be really disappointed if over the last two home games against Gateshead and uh, Maidstone, I'd be really disappointed if you t- if you take the result of Maidstone away from it and maybe the last 10 minutes when it got very, very antagonistic and angry and aggressive, I would be very disappointed if people couldn't honestly say that we've enjoyed a lot of what we watched. You know? Yeah. And the other alternative is to go and play like Maidstone every week and sit nine behind the ball in your own half and just play on the counter-attack, which is another way of getting results in this league. And that's why I keep on saying you've got to be able to cope with everything because there'll be teams that come here and play the first way and there'll be teams that come here and play the way that Maidstone did at the weekend. And I've got no qualms with the way Maidstone, because I thought Maidstone did it particularly well. You know, But yeah. we, we did everything we could, in my opinion, to create chances in the right way and score goals in the right way. But, but we can't score more than one at the minute, which is something we need to look at, or not very many more than one at the minute, which is something we need to look at. And the more open we get, then the more difficult we have to defend. So, but these are things that are evolving. And while they're evolving, you know, I'm just, give us a break, please. You know, help us, give us a break. You know, I've been here five minutes, for goodness sake. And I think that's what we're just looking for a balanced view. It's, it's funny, I was just thinking while Richard was speaking, the chairman's a good barometer of these things in in many ways because he just wants to see progress mm-hmm. on the pitch and he's not as um, reactionary as, as other people to the, the results on the pitch. And, and so if you go back this season, after the Halifax victory, he was quite downcast because he thought that the performance... Um, particularly when we ended up playing, hanging on against nine men, he didn't think the performance was that great, and his reaction after the the game against Maidstone on Saturday was was really positive because he could see the progress that we've made and seen the, the the way that we're trying to play certainly for the first 80 minutes and seen some of the things that Rich is trying to implement um, come into fruition. So he was really positive about it, and I think it's about just that that sort of level of balance. And, and he's more measured, as I say, than a lot of people, but it's. Um, I think everybody wants to see progress towards what we're trying to achieve here and, and is, has been honest from day one that it's not going to happen overnight. Um, even the start of the season we were talking about top half finishes and that type of thing. We've tried to be realistic and it's about going back to what I'll say time and time again, come to terms with the league we're in, earn the right to get out of it. We'll be honest when we think we're in a position to be really competing and we'll come out and shout it from the rooftops but at this stage it's about building something. 
and I know we've we've gone on a little while about all the things that have gone on on that front um, in this about, podcast. I think it was important. It was, it was important. Yeah. We did, yeah, absolutely. But just to bring in another strand of of news that came out this week, obviously, it was Andrew Davies' departure <clears> from the football club, and I suppose it's just uh, you know the question of you know the reasons behind the decision how it be you know how, how it became possible and what you know what the plans are to replace Andrew I guess so, so I mean I in there's obviously again there's been lots of stuff out there it's a shambles and it's this and it's that um it's not a shambles it's fairly straightforward really and I, I referred earlier on to Christmas not being ideal timing this year I think it's safe to say Andrew Andrew came to us just prior to Christmas Christmas Eve-ish and and expressed his feelings that um he was of a mind to think that, and I think Richard had challenged all of the players prior to that to say, look, you want to be here or not, and let's look at the way forward. This is what's going to be required. Um, Andrew came to us and expressed an interest in, in leaving the club. Um, at that point, it became very much about let's get ourselves through the Christmas period, um, which he um, was prepared to commit to and apply himself over the Christmas, albeit that he then subsequently, unfortunately, picked up an injury. Um, from from a chief exec's point of view, when when that sort of thing happens, the first conversation that you have after the initial one is with the football side and the management side to say, well, look, is this a player that we're going to fight tooth and nail to keep hold of, or is it something that you think we should look to facilitate? And I think it's safe to say that on reflection of that, uh, Richard's opinion and, and Craig's was that um, if that's still how Andrew felt in a week or so's time, that that's something we should look to work towards it happening um, and then it becomes a, a job of protecting the club um, because contracts are worth lots of money and they can either cost you lots of money because players often don't just leave and um, go for nothing so you've got to make sure you don't end up spending lots of money out is it worth if it was a player that the the manager or the football side wanted to des- desperately keep hold of then you start fighting your corner for compensation and that type of thing but realistically, what, what we decided was the best thing possible was to facilitate that as quickly as possible, make sure there was no financial impact on, on the club going forward. And then we got it done as quickly as possible in order to free up any, any money to let Richard use to, to impose some recruitment. Um, and so we sat down as soon as possible in the new year and had the conversation with Andrew and, and agreed that we would go our separate ways. Um, all very respectful, very nice no issues and sign the cancellation and so we've protected the football club financially yep. protected the football side in making sure that it's a decision that the football side are comfortable with and think is the right thing for the club at this time and whilst we are, we might all regret a little bit that it didn't work out how we thought it would when, when Andrew joined us back in, in July time um, these things happen in football and, and I think certainly the way that and Richard would and Craig will cover this better than I would but the way that Richard wants his team to play um, and the the plans going forward are such that it's it's felt like it's it's probably not the worst thing in the world to happen to us at this point in time to agree to it and then then crack on really. I went into uh, Cambridge my first yeah. year probably a month earlier. I don't know I don't know exactly the date. Maybe end of October, maybe beginning of November. So a few more games before Christmas um, at the same stage. As I have here, and the most important thing from that moment until the end of the season was to establish who wanted to be there and who wanted to work in the way that we want to work. Now, this won't always be the case, right? Because once we've got ourselves in a position where we're more stable, then the club will decide who goes and when it goes. In this particular occasion, this particular um, issue with, with Andrew, um, I felt that if that was the opinion of the player and the way he felt, that my experience right now is to help him achieve that and facilitate that. Because the one thing that we want from the day I arrived, but even more so now, going forward is we want to know that everyone is 100% committed to Harleypool Football Club and 100% committed to the way that we want to do it. 
Um, no, I'm not saying that Andrew uh, wouldn't have been um, if we'd have said, no, you're staying. Yeah. Um, because I think he probably would. But um, I just felt that if that's the way he felt, then for the, for the benefit of everyone, rather than having the confrontation and everything else that follows, um, then to let him go and, you know, achieve what he wants to achieve elsewhere. And I don't know whether he came back because Matthew was the manager. I don't know whether he was part of that um, dream or whatever. Um, but obviously the manager's gone. A different manager's come in. Um, and he and I, I think, have a pretty good relationship in in the short term that you know we, we were together and certainly we have a good relationship because of the way that we've all handled it maturely mm-hmm. um, and now you know obviously I hope he goes and does what he wants to do elsewhere but we move on you know and um, you know there are a number of th- I think I think Andrews w- would want to play with three at the back you know um, and maybe that was the vision that Matthew sold him at the beginning of the season I want to play with four at the back, um, so you know I'm not saying that that any in any way affected his decision, but um, it's probably best for everyone that you know he's he's taken the decision that he has, and, and we wish him well. There's, there's no other issue, whatever there may be out there on social issue, in social media or anything else. Has there been an argument with anyone? Absolutely no chance. Because we haven't allowed an argument to happen. We've had a very, very mature discussion with a mature man, you know what I mean, who knows his own mind and knows what he wants to do. So we've let him do it. So yeah, I mean, I've, I've got nothing to add to that. Yeah. You know, like, like Richard says, you know, we, we've had a, a proper adult discussion. We've done it properly. We gave Andrew time to think. And, and to make sure that he, what he wanted to do was what he wanted to do. And he come back and he said, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. So we sat down with him and we done it. Um, and that's it. Does, in terms of your recruitment in January, does that change the, the landscape? I know you've said, you know, that we're going to be seeing predominantly young players come into the football club. Losing an experienced one like Andrew Davis, does that change any of your mindset in that, in that regard? Not necessarily, no. I think... Um January is a time of year where you either get players that other people don't want yeah. or you take young players that are striving to make a career for themselves. And um, for sure, the majority of what we will do will be in the second category. And I don't want to say there will be no one in the first category because the moment I go and sign that, you're going to say to me, <laughs> you said that wouldn't happen. <laughs> I would. <laughs> no, there will that, be people who yeah, will. That, that would. That would be the first thing on the next podcast. I would. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want anyone to think I've got any issues with experienced players because I haven't. I just know what January's like. You know, January sales are for, for, normally called the January sales for a reason. <laughs> you know. Lovely sidestep from Normal to create the space here. The defender slips. Luke James is in. Chance! Goal! Right on half time! Luke James fires pools in front in first half stoppage time! It's 1 0 and pools lead here against Chesterfield! So, moving on to the second segment, now usually this would be the place where we'd be doing the uh, moments of near brilliance, but we thought we'd give that a little rest um, you know, over, over this period. And we've had a suggestion in on Twitter last night to, uh, to ask for the best and worst Christmas presents that you guys have ever had. So obviously it's quite topical with Christmas one you just uh, so maybe don't, don't don't pick one you just got that you're going to take back. But <laughs> you want me to go first? Go on then, Richard. If you okay, I'll give you the best Shocking and worst all in one go. Really? Becoming the manager of Hartlepool. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not. Is that your moment to near brilliance? Yeah. Well? <laughs> and, and I'm not sure whether it's the best or the worst. <laughs> we'll ask you next Christmas. He won't be here next Christmas. He'll <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 be here next week. <laughs> 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 
Uh, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Just taking a turn. Yeah. Wow. Right. Well, I'll tell you my... I couldn't resist that. I, <laughs> I know, that's a great answer. Listen, this, this is... Um, when I was seven, I would think, six or seven, uh, it was when tape recorders first come out, you know, with the big piano, key, piano keys. and So I wake up Christmas morning, I go down, and I get one of these tape recorders. So I open it. Is that the same one you have in the dressing room? <laughs> <laughs> and my dad says to me, press play. So I pressed play on this tape recorder. It was Father Christmas. <laughs> Hello, Craig. Hope you've had a really good Christmas. You've been a very good boy this year. Hope you like all your presents. Now here's a message from Mummy Christmas. And when Mummy Christmas come on, it was just me mum. So my mum voice, I had no clue that my dad had done the Father Christmas voice. My mum come on, hello Craig. I thought, that's me mum, ruined Christmas. At seven years of age, I found out what Christmas was like. Worst Christmas present I've ever had in my life. My mum was hopeless at, at disguising a voice. It was just my mum. Well, that reminds me of when I was in the junior school, right? My dad actually played Father Christmas at my school. So I went all the way through primary school asking my dad what I wanted for Christmas <laughs> and had no idea whatsoever. <laughs> I didn't you find didn't out until I was about dad. 20. You didn't know it You didn't dad. know it was my dad. <laughs> Honestly, ridiculous. <laughs> Um, I think my my worst Christmas present, uh, in fact, the whole family's worst Christmas presents. One year, my cousin decided that he was gonna get presents for everybody, but because he was like five or something, he didn't obviously have the means to do it. So he just wrapped up any random bits of crap that he found in his bedroom. So people got like an elastic band or like a staple. <laughs> it was, like, ridiculous! Like everyone got something. To be fair, but uh, it wasn't the best. Oh, this is going to turn into a counselling session because I've got a couple. I've got, oh. No, so the, fir- the first some sad music. Yeah, no, some sad music. The first one was when I was when I was about nine or ten, and I've been desperate for watching. My dad was a bit of a tight ass, to be fair. He just he did with his presents, but oh, I was convinced. Yeah, convinced. I was desperate for a watch, and then they used to do this stocking on the doors and stuff with all of the tangerines and stuff in it, and I got this. And there was this one that was wrapped up, which was really unusual. I was like, it's a watch. They got me a watch, and I was like, oh, I couldn't bring myself. I was so excited, I couldn't bring myself to open it. And this thing sat there till like eleven o'clock in the morning. I just couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. <laughs> and eventually, that was it. This the excitement got past me, and I ripped this thing open. And it was a packet of top trumps, <laughs> <laughs> which came in useful. But so, and then, then to repeat it a few years later, I was I was about seventeen, and I decided that um, I was going to get into homebrew, and that was it. I was going to be into the homebrew. So. I said to my mum and dad, right, I want something, for, I want homebrew for Christmas. Anything to do with homebrew? Yeah, all right, fine. So my dad's eyes lit up and I don't know why or whatever. So Christmas morning arrives and this big package, big parcel, bloody hell, they've gone to town on this one. <laughs> Picked it up, it was a bit light, what's going on here? Ripped it open, it was a plastic bucket to do homebrew. <laughs> it was a white plastic bucket. <laughs> They may as well wrapped up the bin in the kitchen, honestly. It was honestly, it made me famous about my mates. But yeah, a bucket. That was probably my best ever, worst ever Christmas present. Oh, I need to lie down now. Bad memories. Bad memories. There we go. Any others? Any others? I've beaten you off. Silenced your... I can't be that. <laughs> a bucket. A bucket. <laughs> Some message in yeah, there. I'd have Right, moving on. So uh, on Twitter the other night, I uh, I mentioned that we were going to be doing this podcast and said uh, rather tongue in cheek, has anyone got anything we can talk about? And um, people did have things we could talk about. So I've picked out, I think the majority, if we haven't already covered what people asked, then the majority of the topics we'll, we'll whiz through now. But um, one, one question was uh, in terms of the club captaincy, uh, obviously Andrew Davies was the club captain. Um, Richard, have you made any plans in terms of a replacement for him and who's going to be wearing the armband now? Other than the fact that we need one? Yeah. Um, I have, but I'll share that at the right moment, I think, because um, 
and we need to speak to one or two people in the squad okay. first. Right, so that'll be a decision to be made in the coming days. Um, the next one, and it's, it's been asked a few times, I guess, is, is Craig, your role now. Um, obviously, director of football remains your role, but people have seen you with a more hands-on approach on match day and, and obviously during the week of training as well. Uh, can you explain a little bit about that? I think Richard will probably explain that better than me. I, uh, right. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave it to the man. I think there's nothing, nothing more sinister than the fact that... <laughs> that um, um, I felt whilst getting to know everyone yeah. and with the number of games that we've had over Christmas that it just seemed the common sense approach for Craig to be around it he took the two games prior to my arrival um, knows more about the group than, than I do um, so it really is as simple as that He's not, he's not spying on you for the chairman then. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he probably is, but it doesn't to be matter. Fair, I've enjoyed it because I love the coach and I love watching people coach. Um, I like being involved with, with the group and I like the the banter, if you like. Um, yeah, and I've, I've enjoyed being in and around it. But my job hasn't changed. My job's still the same. I think the other thing as well is like if, if, if Craig needs, if Craig is going to get an understanding of what we want to do yeah. then it's much easier if he's around it for however long that may be and then when the time comes and we're starting to discuss you know what we want to do for next year and all of that then he has a better understanding and idea of of, of, of what my vision looks like what my jigsaw looks like I think the only one who really loses in this is Bruno who is it's so sad when you leave him in the office on a morning to go He's to absolutely chill. devastated. But it is worth it to see the joy on his face when you arrive back in the afternoon. <laughs> I'm going to film that. I at think some that point. Bruno thinks the company's gone uphill. Actually, I think he's better nowadays. <laughs> and I thought he was jumping things. up yeah. there because he saw me come. <laughs> <laughs> so. um, someone asked, "Why is it so hard to recruit um, when other teams don't have trouble?" And I guess we can talk about a little bit about you know in this section. I don't know what, exactly what they mean, but in terms of the future plans for recruitment as well. Do you, do you feel like we have it more difficult than other well, teams? Listen, geography doesn't help us. Um, we are a little bit out on a, on a limb up here. So you've either got to do one or two things. You, you go local, somebody knows the area, somebody knows the club, or you pay more money than other people for, for players to come up here. Um, so it is a little bit harder to, to recruit players up here. I'm not saying you can't, um, but there are, they're the considerations really. Um, that make it a little bit more difficult. So because of that, we've then got to have good relationships with Newcastle's, with Sunderland, mm-hmm. with Middlesbrough. Talking about the style of football, if if Richard, like he, he said, went out and just booted it and played long ball, Middlesbrough, Sunderland, Newcastle aren't going to give us any of their players to loan. You know, we, we want to be, whilst we want our own players and we want local players, we will need the help of, of them, them clubs, uh, and not just them, clubs sort of in our, our area, Yorkshire area, um, but we we have to play a certain way for them to let us have their, yeah, their, they best, an, an yeah, their best 23s, prospect, yeah. so they need to know that they're going to get something out of it, whether the coaching's good enough, that the style of play is going to be beneficial to the lads, and that they're going to learn something while they're here. Is that something you found as well, that geography can play a part in terms of, you know, it's not just perhaps money, it's to do with the location? Well, I think, listen, I can talk more about it um, uh, in a short while, but I think Craig will, um, and and Mark will back me up here, is that, you know, between us, we have to decide what our vision for the future is. Yeah. And um, I think football clubs such as ours, and there are a number like it, you know, fall into the trap of, um, you bring one group of players in, they don't do well enough, they go, new ma- or one manager comes in, he goes, and the cycle just keeps evolving. Mm. And for a club like Hartlepool, the money gets more and more tighter, the money gets more and more difficult, and every cycle of players that you bring in, arguably, gets worse. So we have to be, we have to be smarter than that, and show a vision, not just to ourselves, but to the football fraternity in our area and around the north of England probably um, that we have a way of playing that we're going to have a philosophy that is mainly for young players um, and hopefully 
um, get everyone to buy into that and help us. But Mark, maybe you should. No, I, th- I think add to that. I, th- I think it's I think it's massively important, and it's a massively important point, really. And 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 believe me when I say this isn't about criticising Richard's predecessor or anything that's gone on before. But I think that there's a if we lacked one thing previously was an identity um, and, a, and a structure and a philosophy of how we want to, to play and I think in in the absence of that so we knew that obviously Matty wanted to play three at the back but beyond that what was the identity and what did we want to do um, what's, what's massively important in this phase that we're going through now is to take a step back and understand what our overall vision is as a club and as Richard says on the football side of things how do we want to play and, and in, in creating that vision what's, what's the profile of players for each and every position within that structure, within that philosophy in order that we can direct our recruitment accordingly and then recruitment over a period of time will become easier because you're actually, it becomes almost self-selecting to an extent, if you're targeting in the right areas or communicating your needs in the right way, um, and and it's worth taking this period of time to create that philosophy and create that vision and create that identity. And and you know, the the challenge for Richard over the Christmas period was: do I carry on trying to get a tune out of a formation and a squad according to how they've been used to playing, or do I start taking the risk of changing things? Gates head away. To, to what I know is right in terms of the overall future vision of the club and get there as soon as possible. That's the challenge that we, we face and we're facing together. It's, it's a massively, massively important phase and, and so, and we just talked about it earlier on, about the difficulty of recruitment in January. It may be that in the short term you're looking at focusing on getting young players to, who we know that can do a job within the type of thing we want to do, but this is an 18-month project where we start to create that philosophy in order to be as competitive as possible next season without giving up on anything this season. But it's really, really important that we do this right and we do this for the long term so that going forward we can communicate it and articulate it in a really clear and coherent fashion. Um, and it'll sustain the club for a long period of time. So, so effectively, like a, you know, like a plan, like f- for instance, I've heard you talk about Swansea before yeah, and their type of quid. So type effectively, of a, a new manager would come in and the same types of player will recruit into that philosophy. Yeah. would be there because yeah. it's not just because it has happened at Hartlepool for a lot of years that one manager will come in and, like you say, buy his group of players, and then the next manager will arrive and he'll, yeah. he'll not want them players. He'll no. want the next but, group of players. But between us, as a senior management group, once that identity is created, the next manager will need to be someone that believes in that identity. Yeah. So you pick your managers, yeah. That's how it yeah. works. Yeah. yeah. You know? And you know, I'm not sure how, what the question means in terms of when other teams don't seem to have the trouble. Well, I don't know who they're talking about, to be honest, but the reality is very easy to recruit players. Easy. You know, I mean you read the fact so and so's got this, oh that look at that. They've recruited somebody else. Not easy to recruit the right ones. <laughs> yeah, mm. you know what I mean, and not easy to recruit those that that meet the way we want to do it going forward. You know, and I'm going to bring it right back to our first discussion here now, which is why I always listen. I'm big and I'm ugly and I'm whatever. I can listen. Supporters can say what they want to me. They always have and they will do until I pack up. It's the way it is. Say what you want. Do it. But leave the players alone. You know? Leave the players alone. Because if we want the clubs in our area, and I'm going to include Leeds, Hull, Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday, Barnsley, Burnley, Wigan, these types of clubs that are in reach of us, Black Blackburn, who have good youth programmes, right? Who want us to be part of their players' pathway in the future. Or they have players that they're going to release, but they think are going to be good players. And they want them to have a pathway where they can come back and be a good player again in the future. They want them to come to an environment that's conducive okay, to development. That means allowing people to grow. right? It means allowing people to make mistakes, except they will make mistakes. Risk to reward. Now, it's my job to make sure that risk to reward isn't in dangerous areas of the pitch. 
right? And I will freely admit that maybe once or twice last weekend, <laughs> there was a little bit too much risk versus reward. But that's the evolvement. It's embryonic. But if players are afraid to make to play with risk yeah. because they're going to get hammered and criticised by a, uh, by an atmosphere, an environment that is so angry at what's happened in the past, then A, that becomes very difficult for the players, and B, I would suggest it's going to be difficult to get them from the to get their good players from the good clubs. So you know we all have a pro we all have a part to play in this process. You know, recruitment needs to be smart, all right? I think a club like ours, it needs to be in the main young, but we know we need experienced players. And a lot of the experienced players in this league, who know this league, are playing for clubs down south. It's that They're not easy to recruit unless you're going to give X, Y and Z above what they're already earning. I can tell you now, we are not in that place, right? We will be able to compete for those that we want, but we want them supplemented by a good group of young players. And that's all part of the vision that we are in the process of developing and creating for the future. And we need the support to buy into it. Yeah, and I think it's really we can't emphasise that enough it's not just about asking for patience it's not just easy words this is a, a proper piece of planning which is about the long long term future of this football club and it's everybody here has got a huge part to play in that and the supporters as well as Richard says but we I, I enjoy that fact that it's not just about the results here and now it's about a long term plan I enjoy the fact that we're putting something in which will sustain the club long term it's hugely hugely important so I think that's you know, ultimately that's a really important question about recruitment because it underpins everything we're talking about in, in putting that, that vision, that philosophy in place. And, and Atletico Bilbao for a number of years had a philosophy that they would only recruit Basques. Yeah. Only Basques, right? Now that was a big job, big task. They've widened it a little bit now. But, and I'm not saying we should only recruit players from the northeast, but that has to be our focus. We want to be seen as a club that is either part of the pathway for some of the good players in this region who are at big clubs. We want to be seen as a club that gives a second opportunity for players to reinvent themselves who are from the northeast. We want to be a club that identifies players who have left the northeast that we can bring back. And then in addition to that, we want to compete for one or two of the best players in this league, no matter where they come from. So, if you like, there's a bit of identity there for a start. And I, and I think that's quite exciting. You know, I think, hopefully, the supporters will identify with that themselves. You know, that they can support a team that's ostensibly young. Yeah. You know what I mean? A team that's developing players and a team that they can identify with, in, in the main, players from, from the northeast. Another question that came in on Twitter was about, it's probably for you, Mark, I guess the matchday experience and that, that's the stuff that doesn't happen on the pitch, it's the stuff behind the scenes, more of the, the catering and the bars that, um, you know, the, there have been criticisms of that in yep. recent weeks. I think the answer is, it's let's be honest, it's a million, million miles away from where I want it to be and where it will be, but, but I'm asking for patience again. Yeah. I've got to prioritise what my focus is and where I'm concentrating my efforts and um, people will see a dramatic improvement over a period of time but that, that involves some physical improvements um, difference and changes in the way we work um, and that, that will take time to come to fruition but it certainly will improve um, Richard, one for you that came in the Durham County Challenge Cup game against Darling which seems to have captured the imagination um, mm. in, a, in a couple of weeks have you had time to think about what our approach will be in terms of personnel? Is that something you've thought about already or will it be more something you'll think about closer to the time? Well, all I can say right now is the first names on the first names on the team sheet will be those that haven't had many minutes. Yeah. But will it, you know, we in previous rounds we've seen the majority of the players in those in those games be youth team players common. No, I, I, I don't I'm not really I haven't really thought about it much yeah. more than that to be honest. I think um, I'm well aware of the significance 
but you know, um, it's probably not the game that we would have liked to have seen drawn out <laughs> no, there from not. a football, no, from a from a squad sense, to be honest. But I'm well aware that it probably carries a bit more significance. So, yeah, um, try not to let the supporters down. Um, the next one was, how easy is it for Richard to, to teach his coaching staff that he has at the club, his own methods? I think that's sort of the context of that was, obviously they've been working under Matthew Bates previously, maybe that was something different. How do you align them with your philosophy? Well, I mean, look, well, maybe Craig, Craig can answer it better than me, but I can honestly say to everybody that I haven't even started yet. <laughs> I haven't even started. I don't feel as I've even started. I don't feel as I've even started. Honestly, it's not a cop out, but I don't think I have. I think as a coach, I think by watching Richard and by listening to him speak to the players and by seeing how the players are playing and what he wants them to do and having chats with him about what he he sees each individual doing, each unit doing, um, I think you get to know pretty quickly. You know, coaches aren't. Stupid. They won't just go in and do the same thing over and over again. They'll actually look at what the manager's doing yeah. and adapt, because that's what coaching is. You have to adapt to different situations. And, and I listen. I've really enjoyed it as well because I haven't been on the coaching ground for a couple of years, um, and I really enjoy it. And I really enjoy watching people. And, and if if I can watch Richard, who I've never seen before, coach and see how he does it and his ideas on the game, then it all adds to to my knowledge. Which, which is a good thing. And I'm actually, I think it's exciting how how we want to play. Um, I know he said he hasn't done a lot now, but in a few weeks, I think we have. You know, I, I think he does himself an injustice a little bit there because we have changed a lot. And, and credit to the players because they've tried to take it on board. It's, it's not going to be perfect straight away, but over a period of time when they get used to, to what he wants and how he wants it doing, um, there will be improvement. Um, we had a comment on Twitter from one of the uh, one of the chief mischief makers, I guess you could call him. Why are we so shite, and how much do we waste on media department chief? Oh, too much. And director of football. <laughs> oh, too much. <laughs> wow, that's um... go on, Mark. Feel that one. Wow. <laughs> hey, uh, Bruno. Bruno's Bruno got upset. No, he got upset. He's, He's giving me a little love. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 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 you're yeah. worth every penny. <laughs> oh, I think you're great, Dan. Uh, <laughs> he actually guess. jumped up at Craig. Yeah, brilliant. Probably one of the nicest things anybody's ever said about me. Um, <laughs> listen, the, the the challenge and the job here is to... Give it another month and you can to, add your manager to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another week. <laughs> The the, cha- the challenge is, is to make sure on, on behalf of the way the chairman wants to run thing is to demand value for every pound that he spends. And whether that be a footballer, whether that be a member of staff, whether it be um, the, the way we operate on a day-to-day basis, everything will be judged according to its value. And I'm sitting here relatively confident that over a period of time everybody can demonstrate their value to the business. And you know, I have enough respect for the chairman and the way he wants to do things to think to feel my own pressure um, in terms of wanting to do justice to him and and therefore and thereby the football club and and prove that over a period of time we're going in the right direction on on his behalf. Um, There's no um, desire to waste money, there's no desire to kind of just rob a living essentially. We We want to make sure we've got a football club which is doing everything in the right way, going in the right direction. There's a whole host of challenges to face, a whole host of improvements to make, um, and we won't be scared of asking ourselves challenging questions in doing that and making sure that we are we are delivering value across the board. Can I just say the chairman isn't spending money just for spending money's sake. Yeah, everyone's accountable, so everyone has a role to play. Everyone has a a job description. He's not going to waste money because he's not like that. He's a really good businessman and he wouldn't waste a single penny if he didn't have to. Everyone's got to earn the money and everyone has to be accountable. And I think we all are. And just finally, I know Paul Kerr wanted us to throw this one in, but did everyone know that Brian Honor once scored direct from a corner at Sunderland? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, I've seen the video, I think. Yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah. You, might not have, you might get that story. You just told me. <laughs> You'll get that off Brian, yeah, don't Brian worry. Brian will tell you, don't Brian worry. Brian will tell you. <laughs> He'll show you the photo. <laughs> in comes the corner. One, two, and it's there! It's a goal scored direct from the corner, and I think it's 
Ryan Otter, who swung that ball in from the corner, direct from the corner, and it's in the net, and the Hartlepool fans on that far side are going mad. Right, so the final section of uh, this epic podcast is the Mythbuster section. Epic. Epic. <laughs> and uh, this is the bit where we sort of lightheartedly look at some of the, the myths and the rumours that have been doing the rounds on the message boards and social media and, and see if we can just, you know, debunk them, come, to be quite honest. So um, one of my favourite ones that I've seen for quite some time um, is the first one, that Andrew Davies left the club because he didn't wear shin pads in the FA Cup replay against Gillingham. Can we rule that out? That should be shin pads singular, shouldn't it? <laughs> shin pad. Yeah, yeah, I think he wore one, didn't he? He wore one. He, he wore one. one on. Listen, that isn't going to lose someone his job. So I'll debunk that one right now. <laughs> what kind yeah. of club are we? Sat uh, people not wearing I thought it actually, you know, wouldn't have been a bad excuse, really. <laughs> you should have told me before it happened. Uh, uh, Can we talk about Shimpad Gate? We've got to address Shimpad Gate. We can't just do... You, you know what, why he didn't wear a I didn't even pad, know he only had one Shimpad well, on. There we go. Effectively, what's happened is the context of this is that I did a feature with him in the programme, this daft feature where we ask ridiculous questions of the players. And Your fault, then. It is my fault. As most things you'll find around here are usually my fault. Um, one of the questions was, when was the last time you uh, lent some, something that was yours and then didn't get it back? And Andrew said to me that since he came to Hartlepool, he's lost two pairs of shin pads. He's never, ever found it a problem before at other football clubs. It's quite unusual that at Hartlepool, <laughs> his shin pads go missing um, to the extent where he, he went into the Gillian game and didn't have some shin pads with him, right? So that was the answer, and I laughed at it. I thought it was funny, and then um, it turns out that it, it got him the sack. <laughs> <laughs> Now, as I understand it, he didn't wear shim, a shin pad on one leg against Gillingham right, because he had a calf. He had a, no, so he had a calf strain, and right. he didn't want to aggravate the calf, calf strain by strapping the shin pad on one side. So he tried to get away with only wearing a shin pad on one leg for that game, apparently, um, which I only found out about when we were chatting. Do you and know something? About that sounds a pretty feasible. Yeah, it's reasonably feasible. <laughs> so, so that's that, and then obviously pulled up anyway. There you go. So there we go. So that that's why he wasn't wearing a shin pad. Um, there you go. But there while we're talking about shin pads, Luke, Luke James shin pads every game. Oh dear, what's going on with that? <laughs> he tucks his socks in them, doesn't he? <laughs> that's what he does. He tucks his socks in his shin pads, Luke. They just pop out all the time, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they do. Yeah. But, um, so that one's done. Um, the other one was also surrounding Andrew Davies that he left because it was an open secret that he had an argument and. Uh, with one of the hierarchy at the club. Already answered, I think. You already mentioned yeah. that, didn't you, that that hadn't happened? No, it hasn't happened. That's it right. hasn't happened. And then the final one that um, I think has been suggested a couple of times I've seen is that Liam Noble has it written into his contract that he has to take all the set pieces. <laughs> Not in the one I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and fall out with all the players. <laughs> and officials. <laughs> Every week. <laughs> I've got to point out with Liam, I was doing the, the stats this morning, I was speaking to Mark about it and, and looking at the, the Maidstone game and some of the set-piece, he was criticised for his set-piece delivery, wasn't he, against mm. Maidstone. He actually set up two goal-scoring opportunities, didn't with his set-pieces. One drew a good save from the goalkeeper, the other one, Harvey Rogers headed just wide. And of the 36 goals we've scored this season, he's either scored or created 18 of them. So 50% of our goals have come somewhere through Liam Noble. Well, then, if, he, if it isn't in his contract, <laughs> it, it will be now. I think I've just got him a pair last No. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm not going to tell this one, but one of my favourite Liam Noble stories this season was having a North Louisville away when he went down with... When we were 2-1 up, weren't we? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's gone down with a inverted commas with a head injury with a, a minute or so to go and time's on the clock. <laughs> And Phil Bulmer, the physio, goes over to him and he's rolling around, he's holding his head and it's a head injury, so they've stopped playing, whatever. And Phil, trying to be as diligent as possible, doing his job, has gone in and said, Liam, Liam, you're right. He just says, do you know where you are? Do you know where we're playing? He said, Port Vale. <laughs> he said, no, no, seriously, I need to, I need to ch do the protocols. I need to ch do, you know, do you know who, who you are? He said, oh, I, don't, I don't know who I am, I don't know what... Do you know what day it is? He says, yeah, it's Sunday. <laughs> and Phil's like getting really worried about it. I say, for God's sake, he said, come on, I need to, I need to, I need to know who you are. He said, who scored the two goals? And he went, the king. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds all right for Liam. 
Oh, brilliant. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but it's not in his contract. I like that story. Right, well, those are the myths uh, busted for this week, and that's the podcast podcasted for this week as well. So uh, thank you to Richard Murray, the manager, to the Chief Executive Mark Maguire and to the Director of Football, Craig Hignett. I hope you've enjoyed listening. It's been a little longer than usual, but hopefully that's because we've packed in loads of interesting stuff. We'll be back next week with more from the Super 6 Stadium. But for now, goodbye. Thanks Some of us will anyway. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>